You may have a seat. Good morning. It's good to be together on this third Sunday of Easter. I love that we need seven Sundays to celebrate that he is risen. It doesn't seem like one big Sunday is enough to acknowledge that reality. And today we will um, we'll continue this theme that we've begun, which is resurrection as the foundation for Christian life. If you were here last week, you'll have heard Todd speak to us about resurrection as a basis for peace. And he unpacked that in terms of his journey with anxiety, which was a story I could easily recognize in myself. He talked about that I'm always safe in the kingdom of God. That's a good thing to remember. Dallas Willard sometimes said, anything that can be done in anxiety could be done much better in peace. That's become a mantra for me. This morning, based on our passages, especially based on this Emmaus story, a familiar one, I want to talk about resurrection as a basis for hope. And it's a message I need. Uh, My nickname at times has been Eeyore. It's not my favorite nickname. I have a few others I like better than that. But I have sometimes, whether a little bit by nature or a little bit by nurture, had a tendency to sort of see the empty half of the glass. Uh, I can identify with these two who are walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're rehearsing the hurt, the loss. There's a phrase in the story, three words, we had hoped. Can you feel that? Have you ever felt that? We had hoped. And so let me just walk through a little bit of this. You know, we live in a day where there are a lot of reasons for people to feel hopeful or maybe to feel hopeless. Some have political reasons that this party or that candidate would make our lives better or worse. And maybe that's true. Or maybe we place our hopes in in our financial situation. We would feel more hopeful if we had a little more income or if our retirement were a little more established or if my investments did a little better. And, And maybe they would. Or their relational hopes. My life would feel more hopeful if my husband, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my closest friends would do this or that a little differently. And maybe that would help. Or maybe they are personal hopes, even vocational hopes. My life would be better, more hopeful if I had a different job or a better job or if I liked my job more than I do right now. Dallas Willard defined hope this way, and I find this really helps me. Hope is the joyous anticipation of good that is not yet here or is unseen. A joyous anticipation of good that is not yet here or that is unseen. Hope is learning to look into the future from the confident basis of the resurrection, of God's present kingdom, of he is risen as a living reality and not just a creedal declaration. And so we come to our story. And how does it go? It begins with a few key words. The the words are these. 
Now that same day. So what day are we talking about? This is the first Easter. That afternoon, they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That morning, some of the women of the community had said they saw something. And these two had heard about it. You don't sense they're confident yet, but they've heard rumors. But they're still feeling Friday. They're still feeling Saturday. We had hoped. And so I think we can identify with them. We can think of our own places of we had hoped, whether they are past or whether they are present. And so they're on an afternoon walk from Jerusalem out to Emmaus. We don't know exactly where this is today, but they've apparently been in Jerusalem through the weekend, Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and, and now this is Sunday. And now they're returning home. It's about a seven-mile walk, it says, an afternoon's walk. And the two of them, as they walk, are talking with each other, it says, about all that had happened. Can you imagine that conversation? In a sense, they're, they're rehearsing, in part, they're rehearsing three years. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember when that happened? But they're also rehearsing a weekend. How could Thursday have possibly happened? How could Friday have possibly? How could that be the ending of our story? We had hoped. And as they walk a little bit further, a stranger joins them. Now, the stranger is Jesus. But they, they're kept from recognizing this. I don't know exactly what that means. But somehow, Jesus is with them unrecognized. They even call him a visitor. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Are you that unaware of the events that have just occurred over these last three days? He's a visitor. He's walking alongside them. He's with them, but he's unrecognized. There are times in my journey where I think Jesus has been with me, but I haven't recognized that. I mean, think about this. Theologically and in terms of the kingdom, these two are walking in the resurrection age, but it's fresh. It's hours old. And it hasn't dawned on them yet what it means. Our other passage, Acts 2, that's about 50 days later. Resurrection is soaked in then. And you hear Peter speak from a much more hopeful place. He says to the Jewish people, he says, be assured. That's his first line in this passage that we've read this morning. Be assured. Resurrection has soaked in. Hope has become solid. It has become a foundation for Peter's future. So back to the road. This stranger asks questions about their conversation that caused these two to wonder if he was even in Jerusalem. And so they unpack their perspective to him about the events of the weekend. They say, Jesus of Nazareth was a powerful prophet in all that he said and did. Past tense. And then he says, but but then the Jewish leaders handed him over to the Roman authorities to be crucified. And then again, that phrase, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So I think this speaks 
to the places where we are tempted to feel more despair than hope. Where we look into the future in some aspect of our life and we say, is there good out there for me? Do I have confidence that the path ahead is a path of good, of grace, of blessing? Can I be buoyant? Can I be expectant? Can I have energy about my future? And our theme in Easter is resurrection tells us, yes, we can. Resurrection is a different kind of life than just normal life. Resurrection, by definition, is life from death. That doesn't happen every day. And yet, on the other hand, it does happen every single day. God meets us in the places that feel more like death than life. God meets us in the places that feel like, more like loss than like blessing. God meets us where things feel they'll never improve. And he speaks a word of hope to us. And in fact, resurrection comes out of death. What gets planted in death actually grows. Resurrection almost always surprises us. That's how we know it's resurrection. It sure surprised these first followers. The story continues. It says that they mention, uh, they mention that this is the third day since Jesus suffered and died. And I'm wondering maybe somewhere in the back of their minds, they're remembering something Jesus said about a third day. But you know, what's become a creed for us, he was risen on the third day, was hardly a suspicion for them at this moment on the walk with the stranger. And they also mentioned to him that earlier in the day, they had heard some shocking news from some of the women in their community. They had visited the tomb and they'd found it empty. And they shared with the others that they had had a vision of angels declaring that Jesus was alive again. But the emotion doesn't sound like they're convinced yet. This is still something they're wrestling with. They're mostly rehearsing their story to this visitor, to this stranger, this Jesus who was with them in the language of Friday and Saturday. Isn't it ironic that they are saying these words about Jesus to Jesus? Just think about that. They are rehearsing the story of Jesus to Jesus. I know we never do that. We never tell God what he ought to do and how it works and all this. But they are, they are rehearsing this story to the one who is the subject of their story. Well, the stranger, not Jesus yet, not in their understanding, the stranger says to them, you remember? How foolish, how really how slow to understanding, slow to believe, slow to trust, maybe even slow to hope they are. And then you remember they that Jesus sort of unpacks the scriptures. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Can you imagine hearing Jesus from Moses through the prophets unpacking the story of what had to happen? Oh my goodness. I mean, that's a DVD I would love to get a hold of if I could find it. Just to hear what Jesus would have said. 
their walk comes to an end, they reach their village, the stranger goes as to keep on walking, but they invite them into their home for the night. And so as the afternoon ends, as the time for the evening meal arrives, the stranger sits at the table with them, and the text says these words. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like something that happens here every week as we come to the table. This is the moment in the story, it says, when they recognize him. They recognize him when he takes and blesses and breaks and gives the bread to them. That's the moment where they say. And they start then rehearsing the day they've just had. They're going back to the afternoon. They're remembering what this stranger talked about. And they say, weren't our hearts just burning within us? We didn't know what that meant. We just thought this was a rather stimulating stranger. But it was Jesus. And so hope comes to these two. And it comes to us. As they and we come to recognize Jesus risen and Jesus walking with us. See, I think this Emmaus story speaks to times when we may feel that God has been a bit more absent than present, that circumstances have conspired to convince us or at least insinuate to us that how could God have been with us if this happens and that happens and the other thing happens? Can you identify? Can you think of moments where you said, we had hoped? And the temptation is to think that hope died. But the message of resurrection is that anything that has died can be raised. So resurrection is, by definition, life out of death. Not just life, but life coming out of death. And so hope based in resurrection will tend to have that same life out of death kind of flavor or sense to it. Think about some of the lines in Romans that talk about hope. Romans 5 at the beginning talks about hope and says, we, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's a resurrection phrase. But then he unpacks it. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, what? Hope. Hope comes from a process that begins here in this line in suffering that is endured, that somehow produces a character within us that is able to have a robust hope. That's a very different hope than hope the Lakers do better this season, you know, or any other number of kind of lighthearted, rather thin, uncertain hopes for the future. Or there's this passage in Romans chapter 8, where it says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. There's hope language. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But then listen to this line. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes 
for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope, in Dallas Willard's definition, talks about that which is unseen or that which is still future. When we bring our, we had hoped, heart and mind to God, when we pray our, we had hoped, we often do it still waiting for the good that will come, the resurrection life that will grow out of this place. When Jim and I were first starting in ministry in our 20s, we served a college group. That was the beginning of our spiritual formation journey. We were a group of mentors who sort of reintroduced us to Jesus. I was a pastor. I guess I needed that. And I remember how life-giving that was and how there was a new vision and a new hope for ministry and how exciting that was. And it was that year that we went to a missions conference back in Illinois, InterVarsity's Urbana Conference. And one night they gave us five minutes to be quiet. You ever been in a room with 18,000 people for five minutes being quiet? And in that moment, we would say that God gave us a vision. We didn't even have a theology that expected to have any visions from God. But God spoke to both of us in rather clear terms, different but congruent, but they came together. And the the sense of the vision was that we were going to share our lives with a broader circle of people. It was very heady. I was 29. She was 26. Oh, wow. God's giving us a vision for a bigger ministry. Kind of hooked into my pride, my sense of ambition. I couldn't wait to do more important things for God than I was already doing. That would be very exciting except that my resume from that moment goes from college minister in a large church to college minister in a smaller, more broken church to young adult pastor in a South County church plant that is no more to a one-year sabbatical over 15 years. It didn't feel like a fulfillment of the vision. Every time I thought about the vision in those years, all I thought was, well, we had hoped. We had hoped. See, the reason that hope had to die is because how much of me I'd attached to the vision. It was a vision of how I could do all kinds of great things for God. The irony is Jesus was the stranger with us in those years, doing in us, producing in us what was required for us to be able to do what that vision invited us to do. But less selfishly, less self-importantly, maybe more as is the spirit of our community more for the sake of others than the sake of my resume. And so for the last few years, as as it has felt like resurrection, as new doors are opening to go and to speak and to serve, it feels like, it really feels like resurrection. It feels like something that died and was rebirthed. We had hoped. And so I wonder where in your life have you hoped And the hopes didn't go the way you'd expected. Where have you felt losses that tempted you to despair? Or where are you feeling them now? What wounds have you received? What doors have closed? What dreams feel like they've died? And do they feel like they're dead? Do they feel like they're gone? Do they feel like they'll never become anything? And what I believe deeply is that Jesus is with us even if he is not recognized. That we live in a time of resurrection. 
that God is able to take that which has died and bring it to new, fresh, vibrant life. But we will almost always be surprised at what it looks like. Well, think about the Acts passage. It's 50 days later. It's not the day of Easter. It's the day of Pentecost. Resurrection has soaked in. Peter stands and he speaks to the people with confidence, with conviction, with courage that's born of a deeply rooted hope, a resurrected hope. He starts his message with the words, let all Israel be assured of this. And it says that the people are cut to the heart because he's speaking from substantial hope, not I just I hope it works out, but hopeful hope, rooted hope, resurrection hope. And one of the words that Peter uses is repent, which for our purposes this morning is an invitation to turn from hopelessness to hope, to turn to the one who is hope, though maybe unseen or unrecognized, is nonetheless present to us. And as we prepare for the table, Luke tosses me an, an easy pitch in the lines about recognizing Jesus in the bread being broken. Jesus, it says, actually, what's interesting, Luke uses those exact words when he talks in the upper room about Jesus breaking the bread and giving it to them as a part of the Last Supper. They recognize him because they've seen this before. And we will enjoy that table again as Jesus offers to us the gift of his body, the gift of his blood to nourish us, to refresh us, especially perhaps in places where our hope has been stretched or perhaps our hopes feel more like we had hoped. And so for our moment of silence, like our two friends in the Emmaus story, where were you tempted to say, we had hoped? Where has it felt like hope was dying or even perhaps has fully died? And what might resurrection look like in that exact place? Or perhaps what has resurrection looked like already in your journey so far? Let's take a moment to be quiet.